Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to History Dweebs. I'm Tim Scott. I'm joined here by Charles Hawkwaters. How are you doing, Chuck? I'm doing great. And Brandy Herman. She has blue hair. How you doing, Brandy? <laughs> your, your blue hair looks nice. Thank you. Um, welcome to part two of the, the podcast on the New Orleans Axe Man. Um, if you have listened to part one, you know that in part one we discussed the murders and here in part two, we're going to talk about the suspects, and um, we're going to actually reveal the killer. So this is exciting. You, if you haven't listened to part one, you can go to our website, historydweeb.com, or you can now uh, download episodes from iTunes or Stitcher. So just to quickly recap um, the story, um, a serial killer known as the Axeman terrorized New Orleans um, from the spring of 1918 until the fall of 1919. <coughs> During that time, at least 12 people were attacked in their homes by a man with an axe. Eight, at least eight people died. Uh, in most cases, the axe man would enter the home by chiseling out a panel in the door. He would kill by using an axe or a hatchet that was found in the home. So these were people were killed by their own instruments, and then he would leave the axe behind. So he was thoughtful in that sense. Well, you know, got to leave him something for well, the next axe murder. Well, yeah. Um, the victims were both men and women. Uh, some, but not all, were Italian grocers. And in 1919, the attacks just ended. Um, there were several people arrested, but no one really, um, the, the, the murders really remain unresolved to this day. Until now. Until now, and when we will uh, reveal the killer in this podcast. So this is very historic. It's a very historic podcast. Sure. Yes, it is. Um, the Axeman actually, uh, during the height of his terror, or someone allegedly claiming to be the Axeman, wrote a letter um, to the people of New Orleans, um, to the in the uh, it was published in the New Orleans Times Picune, uh, in which the Axeman taunted the police, and we read that letter last time. Chuck read the letter, uh, but he didn't use his uh, Southern drawl last time. 
so we thought that uh, just to catch you up, we would ask Chuck to read a portion of that letter again, this time using his southern drawl. Well, I will, I will start where he makes a deal with the citizens of New Orleans to spare their lives. Thank you, Charles. Undoubtedly, your Orleanians think of me as the most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time on Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over now. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Because he's and a giver. Here it is. He's a giver. He's a giver. He's a, he's a kind man. He's a kind, evil demon. It's reasonable. I'm very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all of the devils in the Netherlands regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is some of your people who do not jazz it on Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. That was his, that was his deal that he made to the people of Norland. And he kept his deal. No one was killed no that night. No one was killed that night, and Norland's was louder than ever. Yes. 45 rabbits in a tin cage. What? <laughs> uh, you know, I've never heard that expression before. Because he just made it up. Rabbits make a lot of noise. I, I would bet they do, but the, the, so <clears throat> there was jazz music playing, and he, he kept it. He was a man of his word. Nobody got you, killed. You know, it's good that it's, you know, you don't, serial killers today don't always. They don't always keep their word. Yeah, right, exactly. So um, there were some, um, several people arrested. There were some suspects, um, but we kind of narrowed, we found someone else who we think is the actual murderer. But Brandy, tell us about the people who were suspected by the New Orleans police. Chuck's got me doing it now. I know. <laughs> so there were four, well, actually five people that were arrested along in this year's time uh, that the police uh, suspected and either ruled out or sentenced them uh, to prison. Andrew Maggio was one of the people. He was the first. He was at the first murder scene. Uh, his razor was found at the crime scene, and he had a Ratfink employee, Esteban Torres, that told police that Maggio removed it from the shop two days prior to the murder, saying that he wanted to have a nick honed out from the blade. Oh, likely story. Snitches get stitches. Yes, they do. Uh, Andrew found the couple two hours after the event because he heard moaning through the walls. He was released after investigators could not break down his statement uh, or his account of an unknown man who lurked around the area. So he, they let him go. Moved on to Mr. Louis Obacon. He was an employee for um, Bessemer's store. Uh, he was arrested because of conflicting crime or conflicting accounts of where he was. Yeah, and he was just—he uh, was just an employee. The only thing he could, he didn't have a—he didn't have an alibi, or he came conflicting, res- right? Yeah, stories. But they had no physical evidence, or he right. was, and he was African American, and it was a Sal, so it's like blame it on a black guy, right? And Bessemer, as we know, was the one that was living with that Harriet Stowe slut. Um, 
she well, was his, his, wife, mi- his mistress. While his wife was in Cincinnati, she was a harlot. Harlot. I think she was a harlot. She was. But um, that's strong. But she, <laughs> um, but they couldn't, they couldn't hold him. Uh, Louis Bessemer was also held. Um, his axe was found in the bathroom uh, of the apartment, and that axe was used to kill Catherine. Uh, he was a German spy, and they began an investigation on him. And a couple weeks later, Harriet Lowe told police she thought that he was a German spy, and that led to his arrest. Uh, Bessemer was released, and two police were demoted due to unacceptable police work. Yeah, they, it was during the First World War, and then because he was German, there were some, you know, allegations that he was a spy. But they, that was never proven. And he was also attacked at yes. the same incident. He was hit in the head with an axe. Right. Yeah. Uh, but he was later arrested again in uh, August of 1918 after Anna Lowe told police that she was attacked by him a month prior to her failed surgery at Charity Hospital. I'm telling you, never get a surgery at a Charity Hospital. Right. Never. He was charged in murder and actually served nine months in jail before being acquitted um, on May in May on May first of nineteen nineteen. And the jury went out like ten minutes or something. It was yeah, very quick. it was kind of ridiculous. So the uh, the last two uh, was Irlando Giordano and Frank Giordano, um, and these were the people that came and heard the screams of. Rosie and Charles and their baby Mary um, heard their screams, ran over to help, and Rosie just claimed that they were responsible for the attack. Um, Charles, of course, Charles, of course, denied all of this, um, but the police still arrested the two and charged them with murder. Frank uh, was the son, and he was sentenced to hang, and his father was given life in prison. Um, and about a year later, Rosie rolled into the police station she found Jesus and said that she did it she blamed them out of jealousy and spite that they really actually weren't there and they were released from jail. See my theory on that is that she was just in hysterics and they were they were the they came over to help they were the first people she saw and she just assumed they did it She's my theory liar, is liar. they went to the charity law firm <laughs> yeah perhaps. It's like the charity hospital and they have poor legal representation yeah, but they, but so, yeah, so they actually served some time, but then it turned out. One of them could have died. Yeah, the one of them could have been executed. Are, are you bored? I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> one of them could have died, but, you know, she, whatever. Um, but, yeah, she, she lied, and, and she went back and told the police, so they were exonerated. So the police during this thing, in their investigation, they had the ability to do fingerprints, they just didn't, for whatever reason, they didn't do right. it. There's no record of them doing it. There's, um, the, the descriptions are very vague. It's uh, a dark figure. Uh, um, one, he was either described as a... Um, a large, ap- dark figure. Right. He was described An as... An apparition. Yeah, like it, it, almost supernatural. They, right. You know, type of thing. But, but the all was real. The axe was real, but as all the people he attacked, very few could give a description of the guy. And I right. think one said he was an African-American, but other than that, none. Well, I think a couple blows to the head with an axe will scramble your memory. Yeah, it would, uh, it would. It could do that. So, Charles Foghorn, one of the uh, leading suspects, though, in this case, is a Mr. Mumphrey. Well, Mr. Mumphrey, <clears throat> and Mr. Mumphrey came about 
a crime writer, Colin Wilson, wrote a, a series about the Axeman murders. Okay, he did some research. He did some research, although he was very interested in Jack the Ripper, saw the similarities. He, although this Mr. Wilson was very interested in sex crimes, he was a little bit of a deviant himself. I wonder what websites he visits. <laughs> So, no, and he's dead. So, yeah, he's dead now. This was back when... Well, anyway, <laughs> the investigator? Okay. There was... So, according to Mr. Wilson, a man named Joseph Mumphrey uh, was the lead lead suspect. He then went to... This Mr. Mumphrey moved to Los Angeles, where he was hunted down by Mr. Pepitone, the last victim, I believe's wife, widow, and shot to death. However, in Los Angeles, there are no records of such incidents. Now, you have another two early murders, the first murders of the Axeman, the Chiambra family. They were shot by an intruder in the lower ninth ward. And the suspect was a man named Mumphrey. However, there's been no proof that a Mumphrey even existed in this case. It was just speculation. So what we have is the main suspect in this case that's been recognized throughout history because it's been repeated over and over by crime writers from this Mr. Colin Wilson is this Mr. Mumphrey, but we have no evidence that he even existed. Yeah, and there were some other folks who did some research and they just couldn't find they couldn't find they couldn't find the Mumphrey or the lady who was supposed to have shot. No records of exactly. either one. And, and there was no murders in Los Angeles at that time. I just love how we're taking, we're taking all kinds of crime and just tying it all to the axe man. Just, well, you know, you know we went these to, guys were shot, so why don't we, well, we just do that. Yeah, and the other, you know, then they were looking at things that happened like eight years before yeah. or something. It was murder, really axe murders don't change the modus operandi. Which brings us to our, we're going to reveal the killer now. Well, the, the killer, everybody who has investigated this has missed the most obvious. Yes, and the police missed it, but of course they did not have the resources that we have today, like Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia or, Which is always true. And Which is did, always true. They didn't have the World Wide Web. <laughs> yeah. they, they were lacking uh, the internet, that's true, in 1901. But we know now, we, with a little research... And a lot of uh, using up a lot of foot leather, we have identified shoe the shoe leather. Yeah, we have identified the. Um, Ooh, we have identified the killer, and that person's name is dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Mr. Jake Bird. Now, why do we think? Let's hear this little background on Mr. Jake Bird. Mr. Jake Bird was born in 1901, somewhere, is this, these are air quotes here, somewhere in Louisiana. So we don't know for fact that he was in New Orleans, but we know that he, in, uh, he was born in Louisiana, and he would have been about 17, 18 at the time of these murders. Now, where did Mr. Bird end up? He traveled quite a bit. Uh, I'll get there. Hang with me. He was a traveling man. <laughs> he, was, he was a traveling <laughs> man. There, he, made, he was a traveling man, and he made a lot of stops. Um, so anyway, he was born in 1901. He would have been about 17 or 18 at the time of these attacks. He, uh, and this is according to Mr. Bird, he leaves 
uh, Louisiana uh, when he's 19, which would be in 1920, and that is when these attacks suddenly stopped. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So um, he then, he's in and out of jail most of his life. He's a transient. Uh, he's traveled all over the, uh, the country. And uh, Brandy, you know how you... You know you, how you're amazed at Chuck's um, knowledge of worthless information, and you refer to him as? Cliff Clavin. Cliff Clavin. Um, Mr. Bird worked as a Gandhi dancer. So, Chuck, what is a Gandhi dancer? A Gandhi dancer really was a railroad worker. Told you, you wouldn't know. He was a, uh, and at the end of the day, and to break up the routine and the monotony, they would sing. And sometimes they would, would they dance. dance? And if they were doing it working on the railroad, they were known as Gandhi dancers. See, he's, he's amazing. I took this, uh, we were talking about this case before uh, when we were researching it. He, he went on like 20 minutes about Gandhi dancing. I know. I know. It's Hell's a, a Gandhi. Star. It's a lost star. <laughs> of course it is. They're building the, they're building the uh, streetcar down there. There was they, a couple Gandhi dancers they, down there. <laughs> they would just stop and get on it for a minute. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Back to, I'm sure he was a very talented Gandhi dancer, but back to uh, Mr. Bird. So he was in and out of prison, and, and this is weird because it's uh, uh, what I found on him is that he he was 45 when he was arrested, and it said he was in and out of prison 31 years of his life. So the dude was incarcerated a lot. Yeah. He was in trouble. Or he liked the food. Maybe. Maybe he liked the food. But in October of 1947, he was arrested in Tacoma, Washington, and guess what he was arrested for? Axe murderer. Jaywalking. Not jaywalking. He was arrested for an axe murder of a Bertha Plot and her 17-year-old daughter, Beverly. Um, What happened is the police um, got a call about some screams. They went to investigate, and they found Mr. Bird coming out of the Clot's home barefooted and um, they chased him uh, cornered him in an alley and he took out a a knife and tried to cut the police and apparently they beat the crap out of him but um, which they're prone to do when you pull a knife on them Yeah. Uh, but anyway uh, Mrs. Uh, Clut and her daughter were both killed with an axe and um, blood and uh, brain matter was found on Mr. Bird. Now, get this. You talk about uh, uh, justice quickly served. This happened in October of 1947, so he was like 45 at the time. Um, Or 46, I'm sorry. This went to trial in November of that year. 
So a speedy trial. A speedy the trial. The trial, the trial lasted two and a half days. He was found guilty after the jury deliberated 35 minutes. And that was just so they could get a lunch voucher. The judge sentenced them to to hang in Jan- on January the 19th, so this is three months after the, the attack. And after he was found guilty and he was uh, sentenced to hang, the, his defense attorney concurred with the decision. That's a strong client advocate for you. So Mr. Bird caught red-handed pretty much uh, as an axe Now, why, again, why do we think it, he could be um, our man? Well, he was, again, in Louisiana. He says he was from somewhere in Louisiana. He liked to travel. He liked to travel. He wasn't sure where he was born in Louisiana, which I thought was odd. He Sometimes they're not, though. you got to remember, I mean, these are, this is the early 1900s, um, you know. Well, people generally know when they're, where they're born. No, I mean, not if nobody ever told him. I mean, they're black. They don't have a lot of, they might not have birth records. No, but I mean, they might not have birth records. They might not have, I mean, there's a lot going on there. But here's the most damning evidence. Here's where I tie the two together. Oh, God. The barefootedness. Yeah, one in, in, the, in the Bursmeyer and... a lot of them. With Bursmeyer and his uh, uh, mistress, Harriet Lowe. Slut. In that, in that case, uh, there was bloody footprints found uh, in the home. And with the Maggio's. And with the Maggio's. And again, this was an axe that he found uh, in this Tacoma incident was found in the home. So, uh, the, used, uh, was from Louisiana. He was there at the time uh, in New Orleans. He was there at the time of the murders. He leaves Louisiana. The murders stop. Uh, same MO as he, in Tacoma. He becomes known as the Tacoma Axe Murderer because he's going in these uh, folks' home and killing them with the axe. He's found guilty of that, uh, mur- those murders. He's sentenced to hang. But right before he's to hang, the, Washington, um, uh, the governor of Washington State granted him a stay when Byrd uh, c- uh, confesses to killing 46 people across the country. Um, so they give him a little bit of time so they can resolve these unresolved murders. Uh, investigators from across the country are brought in, and um, they find that uh, they can collaborate that, that he did commit 11 of the murders, he claims, and 33 other ones uh, were close enough where Mr. Bird would be considered the prime suspect. And the cases uh, uh, included, these included cases in Kentucky, Illinois, Kansas, uh, Nebraska, South Dakota, Ohio, Florida, and uh, in New York. In New York, he actually was accused of killing a grocer, which uh, again is along the same lines of these uh, attacks in New Orleans, as well as um, all these attacks, uh, they were all done again with either a hatchet or an axe. So the fact that Mr. Bird uh, was in Louisiana at the time of the New Orleans axe murders. The fact that he um, was arrested um, 30 years later for a similar uh, incident and that he is, um, was uh, also fingered in all these other axe murders across the country. In the, in the meantime, all these different states, I think it's pretty strong evidence that Mr. Bird is the um, is our is our man. What do you think, Air Brandy? 
He could be. I think I think a lot of these murders in that happened in New Orleans, I think some of them were copycats. I think some of them are just, you know, there was hysteria. I don't know that he did all of them. I certainly think it's a possibility, and I would he lean w- toward him. He would certainly have been, I mean, he would, if he was not the killer, he, he would have certainly been there at the time and know sure. of the killings. Oh, absolutely. And they were, you know, they were well known. Absolutely. Which is interesting that he didn't bring those up when he was confessing to the other crimes. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that he didn't know. I mean, I still go back to where, was, where he was born. You know, he doesn't know where he was born. And maybe he, he says I was somewhere in New Orleans because he doesn't want to be tied back to these for whatever reason. He did confess to the um, to these other crimes but these were crimes that uh, he was uh, he confessed to after he was found guilty. He knew he was going. He was buying time at that point. He, he, was, he was taking the Ted Bundy approach. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about Mr. Birdo, uh, we we probably agree he didn't write the letter. Yeah. Even if he was the axe murderer, he didn't write the letter to the newspaper. But he did have some kind of supernatural kind of vibe to him, because what um, when he was um, uh, sentenced to um, to Hang, he put on his. Uh, he put on a hex on people. Oh, so he started hexing people. So tell us about the Jake Bird and, hex, Chuck. And, and Jake Bird coming clean on these things. It was not him being remorseful. He was. He was bragging. He was just bragging, because he was. A, he was a vengeful man. Jake Bird was. He when you he was found sure. guilty. Oh, he was. Well, I know yeah. five five people who know for sure he was a vengeful <laughs> man. And that will be Edward Hodge, who was the Superior Court judge in the trial, uh, Joseph Coppage, who was the undersheriff, George Harrigan, I always wanted to be an who was... George Harrigan, who was the county court reporter, Sherman Lyons, who was the... Reporter. Tacoma <laughs> the police That's detective. That's of a bitch. Just <laughs> showing up for work. Taking notes. And... And Mr. James W. Selden, who said, his own defense attorney, who said, shit, he's guilty. I ain't, yeah, you got it. I love him. that he concurred with the, the verdict and, and the sentence of hanging. I mean, you know, as so a lawyer, though, don't you just, sometimes don't you just want to do that? Just he like, did it. Yeah. He did it. Yeah. So, uh, so you're so, saying. So Mr. Bird became a little agitated with these people. Right. And put the famous Jake Bird hex on these people, and every single one of them within the year died. Yeah, it's every one of the people every that he put a hex on actually that he put died. a hex on died within a year of his hanging. And didn't they all die of a heart attack? A lot of them died of a heart attack. Now, of course, back at that time, they did not have Lipitor. Uh, they did not, you know. Jake Bird's a witch. Yeah, they were smoking Territons or what they were called. I was kind of uh, afraid of Territons. Lucky Stripe. They, you know, right? They, they, they were not in the best. Lucky Stripe. Right? They weren't health Lucky Strikes. They uh, weren't whatever health they conscious. had. They were very today. But, but, no, they, but did they did actually die. And I think he said something to the effect, "All of you will die before I do," which they did. Which they did, and the rest uh, of them died after. And here's a here's a funny pattern. One guy was sixty nine. One guy was forty six. The next guy was 69. The next guy was 46. And how old would you guess the next guy would be? 69. 76. Well, that's not consistent Yeah, at that's all. stupid. Yeah, it's a little bit of a pattern. So anyway, Mr. Bird was not a nice man. He was a barefooting, axe-murdering, rat bastard. 
That's all I can say about it. And Mr. Bird was hanged in, uh, on June 14, 1949, at the age of 47, at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla. Walla Walla. Chuck. Yes, sir. In your opinion, do you think Mr. Bird is the New Orleans axe man? Oh, without a doubt, that barefoot monster is the is our man. Brandy, you have doubts, but you would uh, you would indict anyway. I would I would indict. Okay. I would hang him. I, I would. I would hang. He looks guilty. He de- well. Um, he looks there's mean. that. Plus the hex. But I mean, he killed here's, five people okay, with the hex. Like I said, when they talked about, uh, they described you know all the people described an African American. It was like, okay, blame it on the black guy. It's not a surprise. But the, the thing with Mr. Bird is he is African-American. And, um, and he didn't wear shoes. The, yeah, he doesn't wear shoes. You, you don't make me lose my train of thought. Oh, serial killers, for the most part, are white males, right? So um, they're rare. Serial killers are rare that they're uh, uh, African-American serial killers. The only one I recall is the the foul beast that killed the children in Atlanta. Wayne Williams. Wayne Williams. Wayne Williams. And other than, uh, yeah, so they're, um, they're rare. So, again, I think all the this evidence combined probably would at least land, uh, uh, land an indictment. You agree? I concur. Yes. I would because, have... you know, when you're shaking your head, they can't, people listening to podcasts can't see yeah. that. They really can't see. Smart they cannot see your okay. hair is blue either. Yeah, yeah. we got you that. have the bluest hair I've ever seen. Wow, well, that's so sweet. Yeah. Okay, so, so nice. another mystery solved. Yes, we can put that in. The, we can take that from the cold case files into the solved file. Yes. So any were uh, any parting uh, thoughts, Brandy? No. <laughs> I don't have any parting. Not thoughts. at all. No, I mean it's just it's a very interesting case and. You know, I learned I learned about it watching American Horror Story, and I didn't realize that this was actually a real guy until we started looking into it, and it is. And yeah, and they did like a fictionalized. Yeah, they did a very fictionalized version of him. So, um, I just I find it very interesting, and I find I find the hysteria that goes along with it interesting as well. Hysteria? So, People were getting hit in the head with a damn axe. Of course, they were hysterical. Jackie's going to talk like that like the rest I, of the day. No. Chuck, any final thoughts from you, uh, uh, you, Mr. Stanley Kowalski? I, I can only say that I'm happy we could, we could put this to uh, I could that we could put this to rest, put this matter to rest, that the victims can finally have some peace, some closure. that they will not be walking this purgatory and they will go to where they belong. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's that is if they listen to our podcast, and if they if were they in listen. purgatory, they can find our podcast at historydweeb.com or our Facebook or page. Or our Facebook page, yes, and they could be eligible to win a prize. No, that's not true. We don't have anything. We have but no prizes. They could download it on iTunes and Stitcher and Stitcher and Stitcher for free. For free. For free. Yeah. And they could win a two-liter bottle of Coke Zero. We don't charge a dime for this quality programming. (laughs) One two-liter bottle of Coke Zero. What is wrong with you? We're not giving away anything. For our 200th like on our Facebook page, we shall give away one two-liter bottle of Coke Zero. Really? I'm taking it out of your pocket. (laughs) You're just willy-nilly giving stuff out. Yes. We don't have a budget for that, but thanks.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 